0: With it, back <laughs> again, Tekish. It's me, Michael. <laughs> it's me, Avedesi.
1: How's it going? <laughs> <laughs>
0: How's everyone doing? <laughs> yeah, everybody, uh, we're back. Brownie Techish, get ready to be amazed. Here we go. <laughs> <Boom>. <laughs> okay, so there's an article that I read. Somebody actually posted it on Twitter and saying, can you guys talk about this? Is Essentially, it's a half-post article talking about how did the rich keep their average kids at the top? Okay, now, so it's basically all like nepotism and how, like, they use a parallel, or not parallel, they're using a parable of this dude called Zach Dell, whose dad is Michael Dell, the founder of Dell. So, Zach Dell started a company in college um, that was a competitor to Tinder, completely failed. Right, he got funding from all of his dad's best friends, failed. He did another company, which is meant to be like a non-profit helping kids in Africa, failed, Mm. right? Now, at 22 years old, he is an analyst at BlackRock. So, essentially, he has just failed, 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 and now he's still got an amazing job at 22, which most people would kill for, right? Nice. So, I guess everyone hates nepotism until it's their kids, but...
1: Oh, yeah, standard. (sighs) How
0: do do we fix that? Because, basically, the, the article is alleging that, you know, and even for example, like I mean, people might say, "Oh, there needs to be taxes on like inheritance." But what the article says is that you don't. People don't now save their money and give it to their kids. They give it to their, they invest in their kids while they're still around. Yeah. Private school, uh, you know, great univ. Get them into the great universities. Um, Help
1: invest in their company. Invest in their
0: company. Uh, daddy's friends get you into their company. Whatever, whatever, right? And and you know, the great book Capital was it by Thomas Piketty? Capital compounds, but so does privilege to a oh, certain extent. Gosh. You know what I'm saying? Like so does Hells, hookups. Yeah. Hookups and just like you know. Being an elite, it just compounds and compounds to the point where the average person just can't keep up.
1: If your network is your net worth, privilege buys you access into different networks that other people can't be a part of. And the more of those exclusive networks you're in, the more people you can reach, who can open doors for you, create opportunities for you that you don't have.
0: 100%. And they're basically saying that like... It's not as if, like, these kids are super smart. They're actually probably average. And if they had to compete pound for pound for the, everyone else's kids, they wouldn't even get as far as, as this at all, right? Of course. You know, you can, because people make the argument, oh, they, if you've had the best education, therefore you'd probably come out smarter. But yeah, but
1: probably. adversity. Adversity yeah, is, like, a, a unifying thread in some of the most successful people's lives because 100%. you build that resilience muscle. Yeah. And it forces you to be creative.
0: So how do we stop it, then? What, what can be done? Is there anything that can be done?
1: <sighs> I mean... First of all, having the conversation and calling out for what it is, I think, is like incredibly, incredibly powerful. We already talked about in previous episodes the whole college scandal, all those rich folks buying their kids college places at some of the most elite institutions in the United States. I don't think the idea of of nepotism, helping your own, helping your friends, will ever go away. Mm -hmm. For example, at the Labour Party conference here in the UK a few weeks ago, they talked about... Effectively abolishing uh, fee-paying schools, abolishing right?
0: private schools, right?
1: So, um, one of the things that I thought is, what what are people doing when they're sending their kids to another school? They're they're trying to basically like distinguish one group of people from another. Like we are a more privileged group, we are a highly educated group, or whatever. Right. And I think you can always find ways to do that. Exactly like you just said, like people saying, okay, I'm not going to save all my money so that my kids can inherit it. I'm going to find ways to spend it. I don't think finding means to support people within our communities will will, will ever go away or give, give people an extra advantage will ever go away because yeah. there's something inherently... Human about that. Human about being competitive. And it's also a part of humanity and survival that we acknowledge there are a finite set of resources, a finite set of opportunities, blah, blah, blah. However... In some ways, that mindset is like super outdated, right? It's like been the predominant mindset for like hundreds of years, even thousands of years. That's basically what's driven capitalism and now got us to this point where in the more developed countries, we're in this hyper-capitalism state. Gap between riches and poorest is growing at an accelerated pace. It's absolutely disgusting. A handful of the most rich people in the world could pay off all of the rest of the world's debt. Yada, 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 yada. I think we need to like move more towards narratives about like how much better capitalism could be. And instead of seeing things in terms of scarcity, which is almost always false, mm-hmm. think about how many more opportunities can happen if we collaborate and if we work together. Um, but I don't but what's think... What's we'll- it like on
0: a policy level? So do do you abolish private schools? Because the argument for that is if everyone has to go to the same schools and the rich are going to make sure the, the normal schools are great. That's what happened in Scandinavia. There are no private schools in the lot, I think in Finland, mm. essentially. So that the problem with like public healthcare and public school is that the rich are not involved. They have, the, they've siphoned off for themselves into private healthcare and private schools, So they don't give a damn how, what the standards are of the normal government schools. Yes. Right. So if their kids had to go to those government schools, you'd be damn sure they'd make sure they're, they're of a great standard. Um,
1: But they could also just pull them out and like chew to them at home or like, I don't know. Like, there's also a a degree where certain types of people don't want to mix with other types of people. People from a certain socioeconomic group or a certain class don't want to. You know what I mean, though? Seriously. (laughs) You know what time it is? Um, But the thing is, it's like we have to look at like the structures and we have to look at where power and influence lie. And, you know, if you look at the landscape of the finance industry in the US, the corporate world, technology, the industry we're in, like, Everywhere you look, when you look at where the most power and most influence are seated, it's still a homogenous group of people.
0: Completely. I mean, that's our burning bar, right? And like, let's
1: face it, we are generations away from changing that. Let's not lie. Let's not lie. Because, right, Mm -hmm. those people are mostly straight white men. Completely. Almost certainly going to be married to a straight white woman.
0: Completely, right. So
1: they're raising white kids. Yes. They're growing up with white privilege. They're growing up with money privilege. They're growing up with education privilege. All these privileges are stacking up, stacking up, like creating this coat of armor that makes them defenseless against the adversity that people with less privilege face. Yep, There's no way for us to impact the privilege that they gain, n- nor is it as much as we could improve the types of privilege that we could gain, right? Because we don't really have control over privilege. It's basically, this is society. There's structures around us from patriarchy to white supremacy to whatever. So I just kind of feel like, I mean, I could almost argue devil's advocate. What can we do for our own in the positions we have available?
0: So nepotism, everyone's against it until it's their kids. That's what I said in the, at the top, right? So I'm not going to sit in front. Of them. Am I? Gonna, if I have kids, am I going to not try to help them as much as I can? I am. I guess it's up for government and those of us who care about policy to to influence government to set the rules of the game so that it's not completely stacked against people that are starting on square zero. Uh, I
1: I don't know if that's okay maybe this is churlish i I just i'm not sure if that's possible i think
0: not completely to level the playing field to a certain extent yes i agree make it more equal so for example okay if you don't want to get rid of private school if you're like well i want to send my kids to private school what about if there's a tax on the fees so that and that's that's directly reinvested back into underprivileged children hypothetically speaking i haven't thought this through whatsoever Mm. this is like you know shower thoughts right um and there's other things that could be done. I don't know. Just force elite universities to let more people in. That's another thing that Arthur talks about how these elite universities hardly let anybody in. And the people that do get in, it's like legacy, mm. sports. You know what I'm saying? And it, and it's like 43. I think they, I'll get the quote here because it's actually insane. Um, last month, a Duke University study revealed that 43% of white Harvard students were not admitted on merit. Uh, they were recruited athletes, legacy students on the Dean's interest file and children of faculty and staff. So that type of shit, yeah. First and foremost, this whole kind of like legacy stuff that's got to go. For the, this, as in, like you shouldn't be let into a university based on who your daddy was. That's that's not that's not fair at all. Oh, yeah. Right. Um. Well,
1: you, one way you could flip it. This is the worst version of that. But in a way, understanding that the playing field is not level is helpful, and that's why communities like ours exist. Like in many ways, what I do with Hustle Crew is acknowledge that there's white male privilege giving people that look like that an unfair advantage. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, okay, if you're underrepresented, what unfair advantage can me or the mentors give you
0: mm-hmm.
1: by membership of this community?
0: Completely. This might sound like comp- almost blasphemy to a certain extent also. There is things that can happen where you end up just servicing the children of the black elite, for example. Oh, and then yeah. we're, and we're like and then we're like, yeah, we got it. We've got representation. It's great. You know what I'm saying? As, I think it has to be a holistic look at, you know, class race and gender and all those things to help people who are at the bottom that's my two cents hey
1: everybody so very exciting news in case you've been living under a rock and you haven't heard this on the 14th of november in central london for the first time ever we are doing a live show live show so make sure you grab your tickets before they sell out so you can see me and michael in the flesh talking about all the top tech stories from the year and yes more. join
0: us please what tickets are still available ciao i don't know it oh if it's let me in my
1: face so i saw uh, uh k Austin collins Who's that? Um, he's a film critic at Vanity Fair,
0: got actually. Go ahead.
1: Um, but he introduced me to a new part of TikTok.
0: Mm. Do you
1: have TikTok? I don't
0: use it, you know. I'm an old man, you know. <laughs>
1: it's it's quite entertaining, to be honest. Like it's like Ryan Hoover, a founder of Product Hunt, that got me onto it. He loves it. Yeah. Um. And there's this genre on TikTok. I wanted to hear your input on. Go on. As as a man, but formerly younger man once.
0: <laughs> so Excellent.
1: basically, uh, teen girls. Right are getting the voicemails that their abusive ex-boyfriends leave them.
0: Wow. Right? Like, you know, these like teenage
1: tirade rantings, like,
0: you "You slut
1: wearing this, blah, 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 blah. Oh my Lord. And they're doing interpretive dances to the voicemails, (laughs) playing out loud, posting it on TikTok. How do you, what do you think? I want to see
0: that ish right now. I'm not going to lie. That's genius. I mean, the TikToks that I have seen, the creativity is unreal. Mm. Like, it's unreal. Like... Some of the, like, I saw one where they were, like, um, the phone was inside a microwave, mm. filming them outside the microwave, that makes sense. And then they they pretend they turn the microwave off, but then the people outside the microwave start spinning like they were in the microwave. Wow. Yeah, I was like, my mind was like, what's going on here? Like, <laughs> I, I, I feel disembobulated like, disin- because I'm like, this doesn't make no sense, but it's very, like I want to rewatch it over and over again. Wow. Um, so the thing that you mentioned, yeah, it sounds like a, a genius way of exposing, you know, quite a toxic culture that a lot of dudes think it's okay to to move that way. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Like I quite
1: like that uh shift in a power dynamic. Yeah. That I, I find that quite interesting because it's, you know, everyone's been on the end of some kind of abuse from an ex. <laughs> We've All my exes in there.
0: love me, man. What are you talking about? <laughs>
1: and I just thought it was like really cool the way they like flipped it into this other thing. I think it's also gonna be really interesting to see like who comes out of this TikTok generation as some kind of I don't know star? future TV star, celebrity movie yeah. star. Because people came out of Vine.
0: Who came out of Vine though? Stuff. King Batch, King Back Batch. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. he was hilarious. And Vine died. Funny you mentioned Vine. Like that was that, that should have been. TikTok. Why did Twitter
1: kill Vine?
0: Because you know what? Instagram did Instagram video, and a lot of the content influencers just left and went to Instagram video. Right? They were so different. But Vine though. was so amazing. The culture of Vine was the best. That's
1: the thing. The limited format, like putting that time mark and just being like, okay, they can be no longer than this or whatever. Just like. With TikTok, it just inspires such creativity.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna download it. Send me that stuff. That's hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, no man. The, the, the I'm glad the dudes are getting exposed, and I'm glad that people are doing it in a creative way. Because I feel like embarrassing embarrassment as a tool is underutilized. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> when it comes to that kind of behavior, do you anyway. say
1: embarrassment as a tool? But yeah,
0: it's underutilized when it comes to that kind of behavior. Like when people are just like you know in a relationship where they're shouting at their ex or they just they're, they're talking nonsense or sending a stupid message. Like yeah, get embarrassed because it's nonsense. Oh. Uh, so I'm not gonna mention who it is, but it was a prominent ish VC who tweeted about <laughs> Prominent. I'm not gonna you know I'm saying prominent no, ish no, he's no, got yeah. a blue check on Twitter, like you said you know I'm saying that's yeah. that's what I'm gonna give you, prominent ish. Like <laughs> <laughs> So anyways he must have tweeted like, you know what, a great way for you to to make sure that you're okay as a startup is and to know how things are healthy is that you should try to raise money like every 18 months and check in with VCs to see that if you're Ugh. doing okay, whatever, whatever. And then that way you can know if you're on the right track. So
1: even if you don't need the money, you're just yeah, going to like... Right. Wait. And
0: everybody okay. was like, in the comments, just obliterated this person. They were like, check in with the market with your customers, rude boy. Don't, why are you checking in with VCs? They are not gods. Who cares about VCs? Like, it's did obviously... VCs, VCs-
1: are go- oh, Did you not get the memo? I got I'm the joking. memo,
0: yeah. <laughs> I ignored it though. Junk mail. Straight to junk. <laughs> I don't know what you think about like I'm gonna put the tweet in the in the show notes so everybody knows what I'm talking about, but go on.
1: There is like a uh there is VC Twitter. And yeah. I actually like follow like a few parody accounts. Um because it's just like hilarious the sort of lofty philosophical musings that venture capitalists are spewing out into yeah. social media. Basically, everyone's been seeing Naval, and they're just yeah. like, "Everyone's I a can monk do this. now.
0: Everyone's a monk. Everyone's Everyone, a stoic monk yeah. now."
1: <laughs> everyone's channeling their inner inner Naval, inner Paul Graham. Um, I mean, how narrow can you be to mm. say something like that? Mm. Like, how narrow-minded can you be mm. to say something like that? Like, oh, here's a great suggestion for checking in, like, the health of your company. Go do a fundraising round. First of all, anyone that's ever danced in the fundraising mm-hmm. world will know how much effort it takes. Yeah. Man, when I was fundraising, when I was in an incubator, that deck was changing every night. Yeah, Pitch deck's changing every night. Working your way for intros. It's basically a full-time job. Like, In fact, one of the biggest reasons why people are always encouraged to have like more than one co-founder in the yep. early days of, fun, uh, of your company so that there's someone who can keep running the company when one of you's out fundraising. No seriously, you know that this small
0: like, task, right? That running the company, like you know that small, small task of like you know someone's got to do it, you right? It you know, like the main, the main reason why you're there. Go on. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: So I feel like it's so it's so disrespectful to the reality of running a business to encourage people to go out and do fundraising just for fun. In a way, it's kind of also disrespectful to his own industry because are so you telling people to take meetings or f- fight for meetings even when they don't necessarily want to raise? And also, like, I don't want to undervalue the process knowledge and experience and insight that venture capitalists bring yeah to the world of entrepreneurship but they're not as you said the be all and end all and there's so many other ways you can get that information and yeah for oh, me it's me. just like let's not forget you just said skin in the game a moment ago think about people's motivations for saying what they say
0: I think everybody just has to be mindful about like the incentives of everyone around them, and your VC incentive are not your, is not your incentive, and that's that's it, bro. Like,
1: not always, but yeah. I mean, some of them you probably all have like a wide range of incentives, and some of them might align. Like, let's make definitely. the world a better
0: place. Yeah, Change but the world. some of
1: those more near term ones
0: completely won't. So, anyways, do you still want to be a VC ever? <laughs> Anything you, I can you do to one?
1: support future talent will be great. Yeah, I mean, I scout for fun, so I get to pretend to be one. It's not my money, um, <laughs> I, but yeah, I mean, I I I don't hate against that industry, but I I hate against asymmetries of information that sometimes people in that industry perpetuate.
0: Expound upon that. What does that mean?
1: So, <laughs> I think. Just like this example you just gave, it's like you can be in a position to influence a certain group of people. Let's say you're an investor, you have money, you control that and have influence over who gets the money that you have. Therefore, the things that you say probably hold a certain weight amongst the people that want the money you have, i.e. founders, Mm -hmm. aspiring entrepreneurs. Um, And you probably have witnessed far more... Cycles of companies succeeding and companies failing and all the different realities in between. So when you're speaking, you're speaking from a position that's actually very well informed about probability of success when accepting venture capital for all different types of companies and all different types of goals. Got it. When a founder comes to the table or happens upon your Twitter feed, their information is limited. Mm-hmm. Like a, a lot of venture is still privately held companies. So there's not very, you know, there's not a huge amount of access to information. Like yeah. you can try to piece it together, whatever. But yeah, like when a founder comes to pitch to you, of course you're going to tell them that, oh, we're so aligned on making the world a better place. Oh, we're so aligned on our passion, D2C is the future of consumer goods, whatever. But you're not going to, say the reality is i know the probability of your success is infinitesimally small Mm. however i'm in the business of making bets Mm. and you are one of many bets i am satisfied in making right this year yeah you can't say that yeah that's demoralizing and that's crushing but it also makes them can would make that founder doubt whether or not A, they should be going with you, or B, whether they should be taking money at all. Because they're like, well, if the chances of me succeeding are so small, perhaps I should not be taking on this risk of taking someone else's money and giving up
0: ownership of my company. This episode is sponsored by Guru. Guru is reinventing knowledge sharing, providing verified information from experts on your team where you work and when you need it most. They are hiring on pocket jobs with roles in San Fran and Philadelphia. Link in the show notes. Um, so what do you make of this whole like Extinction Rebellion? These are like uh, the activists and they've been shutting down or trying to shut down train stations in London. I think, I don't know if they're doing it around the world, but it's definitely a British based thing I've seen so far.
1: Yes. Um,
0: so they, they'll, they'll stop the subway or the tube. They'll stand on the subway in the tube. And then like certain areas, they've gone into more traditional working class areas. They tried to do that. And basically got beaten up. They tried they they stood on top of trains. They
1: got yanked down and they got, got, got stopped out.
0: Literally. They got a yeah. good old fashioned football hooligan beaten. That's what it looked like to me when I saw it. <laughs> I'm keeping wow. it real. And some Ouch. people some of the some of the passengers were like, leave them alone trying to defend them. Mm. But some of the other dudes who look like straight out of or, you know a football hooligan, like i I'm keeping it real, they looked like they were just not in the mood. Mm. Um and what do you think? I saw you tweet about it, you essentially were saying that are we now siding with our own downfall, essentially, like the people that are yeah. being up like, the, the protesters? So what are your thoughts? I,
1: I, I really, I I want Yuval Harari to tell me what he thinks about <laughs> this. I feel like he's the, he is the man I need to hear slice this up and, and explain it to me. Author of Sapiens. Yes. I didn't know how to feel about that. When I saw this trending on Twitter, I saw videos that people were posting from the two platforms, mm-hmm. photographs of demonstrators being yanked down. Of course, I support the movement of Extinction Rebellion like I fully side with this idea that we have one planet I'm not convinced about this whole interplanetary existence oh, definitely uh, not. Elon not Musk ain't going to be putting me on a car shooting me into yeah. space Yes, for damn sure so a- 100% agree with what they're doing I think where I felt conflicted um, is basically I feel conflicted about two things one where they choose to demonstrate, mm-hmm. and I get that probably the richest people are hiding behind armed guards and they don't yes. want to put themselves in harm's way. So I get yes. that, right? Because if you try to demo at Goldman Sachs, uh, you gunshots. Get
0: hurt. Yeah, uh,
1: I get that. I totally get that. Um, but at the same time, you know, the thing that I've tweeted about was basically when we, when we are. Going against or interfering with demonstrations that are existing ultimately to protect us as individuals. Right. right? Because that's what extinction revolves about. How do we protect our planet so we don't die? Yes. And also, you know, I have a huge amount of respect for them because the truth is it's a movement that's very much driven from the UK, mm-hmm. even though the first people who will truly die because of climate change are in lands much further away. We know this, right? The Maldives right, yeah. are sinking, sub-Saharan Africa, the Middle East, yep, et cetera. Yep, yep. So I have a huge amount of admiration for, for them because what they're basically saying is it's already happening. It's not happening here, but it will be. Mm-hmm. So let's just start moving on it. But where I felt conflicted was, yeah, basically exactly the thing that you said, watching people fighting with the demonstrators. And these were just ordinary folks they weren't like police or anything like that and it just made me think why are they doing that? Are they doing that because they don't agree with what Extinction Rebellion are doing? I, I hope tell you not. Why they're doing
0: that. They're doing that because they're, you know... They need to get to work. They're working class people. They need to get to work. They're tired. They might be going to see their relatives in the hospital. They yeah. have their own agenda during the day and they are the least um, important people within our society with the least influence. They don't understand probably a lot of the macro situations that's going on and they're mm. like, I need to get to work. I'm on a zero hour contract right yeah. now and you're getting in my way and I'm going to, I can't this feed my, my family. Livelihood. Yeah, I can't feed my family right now and yeah. um, you are probably some middle class kid who, you know, is concerned about things that don't affect me just now, right now. Mm. Um, get the hell out of my way and and that's, and that's these people are, are, you know, and also ironically, Tube is actually the most eco-friendly way to get to work. Yeah, and this is, it so was they, very com- weird. Strategically, they got it completely wrong. Yeah. Um, and they have to reassess what they're doing because that is that is so dumb. Like the whole thing was, even if you're right in spirit, action has to be How strategic. intersectional
1: is XR actually? Let's talk about that because maybe mean, they need to get some more diverse voices in that demo planning meeting. Completely. You know what yeah. I mean? I also think, so someone made this comment, I mentioned in a previous episode how uh, a friend of mine organized these meetups through Friends of the Earth to basically get women talking about how we can use our money to make remember, the correct. world more sustainable, right? Yeah. And one of the women said, instead of Extinction Rebellion, or in addition to the demonstrations, why don't they give us the information that we as individuals need to become lobbyists ourselves? So for example, mm-hmm. like imagine if Extinction Rebellion had a campaign that was everyone go to your pension provider and ask them to divest from fossil fuels or ask them to tell you where your money goes. Like right. Basically give us the questions to ask because the reality is, If you look on a chart of like how to make an impact uh, on fighting climate change and um, you looked at like, oh, you know, eating less meat, don't have children, recycle. Like on a bar graph, let's say all of those examples I've just shared are like one inch of the bar graph. Right. Changing your pension pension fund provider to someone that is actually sustainable or investing in sustainability is like… A meter on that bar graph.
0: It could be, yeah. You're and no, well no, it is. Like right, someone's cool. done. Yeah, no, no, someone's yeah.
1: done the stats. So, like in terms of the impact that we could make, it comes through where where we have an impact on large sums of of money mm-hmm. sitting together. Whether that's savings, whether that's pensions, whether that's your shares. And I just kind of think we need a bit more of that coming from XR as well. Completely.
0: And I think we have to understand that you're dealing with a population that's overworked, underpaid, and tired. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? And like they don't have. They, they're not going to understand the nuances of your arguments that way. You're not winning hearts and minds that way. And you're right, there is an education gap. Um, and that education gap probably is exacerbated by the fact because people are tired and underpaid, they don't have time to take in information that's probably good for them in the long term. They just don't. Um, I just want to know, where are the billionaires? Like, why isn't Bill Gates funding an education campaign on that level? Because like you said, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're not going to solve it. right Too now. many
1: problems to solve. I mean, there are a yeah. lot of really, really incredible people. Like, look at Sir Ronald Cohen. Um and people who are very, very rich and driving change through impact investing. Because what they're basically saying, like, let's stop investing only for returns. Let's start investing for environmental impact, social impact. And, And there's some really interesting stuff happening in that space. And to be honest, it's great that finance and people in finance are thinking about that more, but we need to be thinking about our environmental and social impact in everything we do every founder that's listening you need to be thinking about that every individual Mm. you need to be
0: thinking about that I think also we have been this is one thing I would say I think we've been trained to look at history and we look at people that have done successful protests so everyone thinks that the way to get everything done is just through like that kind of activism, and I think that we have to think smart. Stuff that you mentioned about you know divesting from pension funds and whatever, whatever, it's, it's gotta be stuff like that. I don't think, like, you're, not all, be, you're not all gonna be Rosa Parks, that's it. And also, <laughs> what I know because they kept bringing up Rosa Parks, and the thing is, Why? yeah, exactly, because everyone Why? wants everyone wants to be that star in history, that's the thing, everyone wants to be that hero. And I think, even the thing with Rosa Parks and that whole bus boycott, that was a boycott that wasn't you know let's stop everybody getting on the bus it was like we're no longer as black people going to service this, use this bus company provider and we're going to bankrupt them that way that is a whole different proposition then we're going to stop everybody from getting on the bus because that one not yeah worked. because
1: also that's like a public service
0: yes yeah so anyways um, yeah Extinction Rebellion I think you fucked up pardon my, my language and that's it on my exit
1: oh I'm so sad it's the end of another show end of the road I'm
0: going to miss you guys (laughs) until next week girls and (laughs) non-binaries
1: yes Um, don't forget to use hashtag techish to join the discussion
0: and if there are any tickets left have a look in the show notes for techish hopefully it might be sold out by the time this episode's out techish live you're going to hear
1: the debut of our techish duet
0: techish in the flesh let's go (laughs) alright cool see you next week bye